Coming up, I'm in a feisty mood today as arguably the best sports month of the year has arrived. The Yankees needed 162 games to punch their ticket to October. I'll preview the wildcard games and the division series as the quest for a champion begins in baseball on Tuesday night. The Brady return to Foxborough was a success. Also, damn you New Orleans Saints. That's part of the stories that I'll recap in week four of the National Football League. Arkansas, Notre Dame, and Florida fall mightily in college football this week, but there is one team that could possibly be a part of the college football playoff mix, and that is the Cincinnati Bearcats. More to that later on. The NHL drops the puck on their season next Tuesday. The NBA tips off their season two weeks from tomorrow night. All that and then some here as your source for sports. I got you covered, people. But first, this message. Hey, everybody. Jay Reels here to share a friendly reminder. If this is your first time getting an opportunity to listen to what it is that I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports, welcome aboard. Or if you've been a longtime listener, not only do I welcome you back, but I want to advise you all to please subscribe, rate, and review the J Reels podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. Of course, this pod is on all platforms. On Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, Player FM, even Amazon Music. I not only host this endeavor, but I independently produce, edit, and write what you read and listen to. So your participation is vital to not only support the podcast, but increase the visibility, fuel the growth and expansion of this platform to those who aren't familiar with it. You could also share the show or a particular episode by posting on social media as well. The purpose of this is quite simple, people, to generate interest to those who aren't aware or know of this podcast, especially the former or current athlete, the broadcaster, blogger, sports writer, studio host, etc., as I want them to share their experience on the field, the court, the press box, broadcast booth, or in the studio with me, so then I could flip that to you guys and gals to deliver top-notch, fast-paced, entertaining, informative, incredible sports talk unlike any other. For everyone to listen and enjoy and to keep coming back for more on a week-in, week-out basis. You could also go to my website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. I appreciate you all for your support. Thank you very much for listening and believing in me. I hope you come back for more as your trusted source on everything that's happening in the world of sports. So with that said, the J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rubble without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic and excellent spirits as we've now turned the corner into October. So now the leaves are starting to change here in the Northeast. The weather's getting a little bit cooler. Yes, it may not be time to put the shorts and t-shirts away just yet, but we do know that cooler days are arriving. And even in this month, one of the great sports months of the year, I'm glad that you're joining me to share my thoughts, opinions, and express what it is that I'm feeling throughout this sports universe as this 
is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who've been banging with me for now 218 episodes, I welcome you guys back. It is a Monday, October the 4th, in the year of our Lord 2021. The J Reels What's the Deal segment, what to expect on this podcast is as follows. The college football weekend was another wild and wacky one as three top-ranked teams, Arkansas, Notre Dame, Florida, go bye-bye and right down the tubes where Cincinnati, the Bearcats, are trending north. Is this a team we're going to have to keep our eye out to possibly make it to a college football playoff? I'll get into that later on as well as what's happening in the NFL. I believe there was a big game that took place last night in New England. Uh, Yes, it was that one with Tom Brady. Of course, the love fest, the reunion, the pomp, circumstance, all the hoopla surrounding that game. I'll try not to bore you to tears because it's already over and done with. But of course, the morning after or now the day after, I have to throw in my two cents on that. Also, the New Orleans Saints, damn you, I'm never choosing you again. I'll get into that as well as everything else that's happening in week four in the NFL. The National Hockey League, their season begins on time a week from tomorrow no preview just yet but we'll talk a little bit about what to expect here as the fall sports are starting to get into play where the NBA two weeks from tomorrow night will start their season and a lot of controversy surrounding vaccines and players and things of that nature so I'll touch on that including my hero and zero the week but for those who've been listening to this podcast for quite some time you know that This is a great month when it comes to sports. Arguably, it's the best month of the year. In my opinion, I think April is just a little bit better than October. And I get that the Dynawool football fan, whether it's pro football or college, and especially with the postseason in baseball, you also have the winter fall seasons, as I just mentioned, in hockey and basketball getting started. But to me... April is the best. You got the Masters, you got the NFL Draft, you have the Final Four, you have both winter sports starting their postseasons. I understand the last couple of years that hasn't been the case because of COVID, but you get the gist. And not only that, but also the beginning of the baseball season and warmer days ahead of us. But with all that put aside, and me being in this very feisty mood, because yesterday, uh, it just sucked to be a sports fan. Let's just put it bluntly. When I look at these Steelers that are now 1-3 and and who knows what their season is going to look like, you would think that they're going to be somewhere in the vicinity of 6-11, and which will be a first for Coach Mike Tomlin. Somewhere between 6-11 and and maybe 9-8, and and that's going to be the plus side with a very difficult schedule. Five division games left and they haven't been able to do anything here offensively in the first four games. Not only that, but you also have Cleveland, Baltimore, Cincinnati at 3-1. and one, So that right there has my stomach turning. You also have the Saints. Let me bring them up right now because my knockout pool in three of the last four years, I've picked the Saints and they couldn't even do me a solid to get past roughly the first quarter of the season because of their exploits down in the Superdome. And you would think in their building, having an opportunity to play at home, because remember, they were on the road in their first game. Technically, it was a home game in Jacksonville. But we had an opportunity to play in their own building, the friendly confines, and what happens? They laid a dud. Well, they were in the game, losing in overtime, etc. Daniel Jones and his heroics. 
And I'm going to get to the Saints even a little bit more later on because I kind of tipped off one of my losers of the week. So I'm not too happy with them. Do I even need to get involved with the New York Mets right now? And with everything that happened with the Mets season, do you know that they are the first team in Major League Baseball history, the wrong side of it, of course, as a team that was in first place for the longest time throughout the course of a season only to fall under 500. So even if they were just one game over 500, let's just say it was July 4th. But as we know, I think their high water mark this year was nine games over. But even with that said, they had 103 days where they were in first place this year. And they fall, what was it, 77 and 85 was their record? So even the Mets, who continue to rewrite history or make their own history or ways of losing games, losing seasons, whatever. So I had that to deal with. And then to top it all off, I had to watch that ninth inning with the Yankees yesterday and Aaron Judge coming up where it was a little bit interesting how Kevin Cash decided to pitch to Aaron Judge with second and third and one out and not bring Stanton up with the bases loaded to have an opportunity with a force at any base. So what does Judge do? He strikes a ball off the pitcher's glove, goes towards second base. Brandon Lau picks it up, throws it home. Too late. Runner scores. Game over. So in game 162, the Yankees make it to the postseason. So as if all that thrown into my sports pot and have to be spoon-fed it throughout the course of the last couple of days and even more so yesterday, it did not go down well. So yes, I am not in the best mood. And again, this is all sports people because in life, If I'm alive and breathing, I'm blessed. But when it comes to the toy store department of life, yes, you might as well just say all the shelves are barren or all the toys that I like have been broken or there's a battery missing. You name it, that's just my sports life. But nobody wants to hear about that now, but that just explains why I'm feeling the way I feel. So if I come across with a few zingers or come across a little nasty, you've been forewarned. So we're going to start off with the hunt for Red October, yes, I'm going to say Brady and Foxborough and NFL. And people say, oh, come on, Jay Reels, football season. Let's get at it. We want to hear what you got to say about that. Well, we're going to just take a little time out there because now that the marathon is over of a baseball season, we could solely focus our attention on these next few weeks and who will be crowned as the 2021 champion of baseball. And it's amazing to think as I sit here today and just to tell you how fast time flies. Remember last year we had to endure as sports fans a 60 game baseball season. And remember we had the scenario with the wild cards, best two out of three, eight teams in each league making it to the postseason. We had that little drama there that even if a team won the first game, they still had an opportunity to win the series. It wasn't a one and done. It wasn't as if, oh God, NFL playoff game where that's it either win or move on or go home baseball had that little I don't want to say college world series feel for those who follow the college sport on a baseball level but it was a little bit refreshing because we've never seen that and to think that we're already a year after that as I say time and time again where the hell does the time go I mean it just zooms by so with that said we could rehash everything that happened this past week And with the division races, especially in particular, the NL West, where the Giants were just masterful. Or what could you say? 
that team, 107 wins on the docket. And not only that, give it up to the Dodgers because I believe their number from Vegas this year, over-unders, was 105.5 or it may have been 104.5. And I would think in the middle of August, if you place that bet as an over, you're thinking, oh, there's no way. The Dodgers, they're not going to get anywhere close to 104.5. And guess what? Whether it was 104.5 or 105.5, they closed out their their season with a seven-game winning streak to get to 106. So I'm sure it wasn't a big bet, considering they are the Dodgers. But for those who won that particular over, congratulations to you. But whether we talk about the Phillies just asphyxiated in Atlanta, losing those three games the way they did, to where the Braves won the division in the NL East, what else is new? We could talk about the wild card there in the American League going down to the final few days where Toronto lost the first game to Baltimore after winning the next two, but they fall a game short of making it to the postseason. Seattle inexplicably loses two out of three to Anaheim over the weekend, which blows their opportunity. And they won 11 of 14 down the stretch. So you got to give them credit. And they beat Oakland seven times. Now, again, you're going to say, well, they're the A's. It's typical. They fold like a cheap suit. Understood, but, you know, it's not as if they played just the Angels, Texas, and give me another terrible team down the stretch, the Kansas City Royals. So you got to give kudos to the Mariners, but they do fall short, and that's going to leave a little bit of a bitter taste in your mouth, knowing that you just finished sweeping the Oakland A's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, losing two out of three to Anaheim. Ugh, that wouldn't sit well with me if I'm a Mariner fan. But we could put all that aside, and now let's get to the meat and potatoes where the postseason, and I'll start off with the storylines going into it. The number one storyline is going to be the Dodgers right now, and not just from the standpoint of can they repeat, can they go back-to-back. We know how long it had been since they won its title, going back to the 1988 season and then winning last year in the bubble, Texas Globe Life Park. But the reason why they're the top story is because of this wildcard game. Now, we know that the Cardinals, as much as they were on fire throughout the last three and a half weeks, they went out meekly here over the last couple of games. And I'm sure they rested players. I wasn't closely watching St. Louis Cardinal baseball since they already had everything wrapped up. But you have to wonder whether or not this team is going to have to now get themselves together to push past the Dodgers, and which would be, I'm not going to sit here and say it's a monumental upset because the Cardinals, their pedigree, and the way they performed in the postseason over the last decade plus, and if you want to go back to their entire history, we can, but it's not as if this is the Marlins that are playing the Dodgers. It's not as if it's an upstart team, the Reds, that were able to make it to the postseason, kind of happy to be here, and let's see if they could shock the world by beating the defending champs and the mighty Dodgers. Now, with the Dodgers here, they know Max Scherzer, who has not pitched well here over the last few weeks, all the pressure is going to be put on him to deliver a big game here. And all the talk's going to be, if the Dodgers don't win this game, they're going to have to revamp this playoff system. Because when you look at the success that they had this year, the 106 wins just one game behind the Giants and here they are hosting a wild card game where all their hard work winning almost two-thirds of their games in the regular season could go up in smoke 
over the course of 9, 10, 11, 12, or how many innings it may take, that where if the Cardinals do prevail, the Dodgers will be sent packing. And then that leads to the second thing, that if the Dodgers do win, they're going to have to play the Giants, which would almost be unfair because you think that they would recede to have one play four, two play three, as opposed to the wildcard team, in this case being the Dodgers, will now have to play the one seed, the Giants. Now, it will make for some interesting drama, a lot of theater. These rivals go back a thousand years. We know the hatred between San Francisco and LA from a baseball standpoint. But now it's just going to be a five-game series where a lot of people would have salivated at the thought of these two teams going at it in a seven-game series. So you know baseball is going to have to deal with that. You would think this offseason, and we understand that they have a lot to deal with with the CBA expiring December the 1st. But that's something you're going to have to keep an eye on here, not just for now, but even for the long run. But the Dodgers, to me, are the top story here. And if they do get past the Cardinals, then we could talk about them possibly repeating. But if they don't, then all the talk's going to be about they need to change this format. That's all you're going to hear between now and you would think until they get this rectified. And then the Giants, to me, are the second story because who in their right mind thought that this was even remotely possible? I think the over-under number in Vegas was in the mid-70s. Maybe 76, 77 off the top of my head. They won 107. So in order for this season to stick, if you're the Giants, and you could talk about how much this is almost a house money year because nobody expected it. No. If you played this well for so long and you're on top of your game to the point where you had the best record in the sport... And mind you, you had the Dodgers nipping at your heels pretty much the whole way. You got to at least get to a World Series here. And a lot of people think that this is more of a regular season equipped team as opposed to maybe that short series because they don't have the dominant pitching. Let's see what the Kevin Gaussmans do, especially now come October where the money's on the line and he's going to have to deliver. Yes, we know about their veteran players who have been part of this championship pedigree going back to the early 210s, 2012 and 2014, understood. But yes, can the Lamont Wise Juniors of the world be able to pick up the slack or be able to get that big hit in October? Are you going to get contributions from players like that? Relief pitchers to Jake McGee's of the world, how is he going to feel coming in at a big spot to close out a game? Especially, let's say, if they're down two games to one in a divisional series where they need that game in the worst way so they could take it back home. All this now is a whole different ball game. So to me, I got to see what San Francisco does here. Because if they lose to the Dodgers, and they can lose in five games. And then you could also arguably say that if the Giants lose in four or five, or even let's say get swept by the Dodgers, oh, we shouldn't have played a team that was one game less than we were. Then you're going to hear that argument from the San Francisco Giant contingent. So those are your top two. And then the third one, to me, the American League, I get Tampa as the best record. And a lot of people probably don't want to see Tampa there. But it is a toss-up. If I told you right now that the Houston Astros will come out of the American League, would you be surprised? What about the Yankees? The Red Sox? Okay, Tampa, everybody's probably thinking that maybe they'll make it back to the World Series as they did last year. Now, the White Sox, I know they could be... It's weird with the White Sox because we haven't really seen the White Sox a lot. The only 
optic that we have of this team was the Field of Dreams game with the Yankees, and we saw the heroics there by Tim Anderson that Thursday night in August. But the White Sox do come with a very formidable lineup led by Jose Abreu. We know, of course, about Eloy Jimenez and Tim Anderson, the aforementioned shortstop. So as we go through these games, and we're going to start with the wild card, we could only do the two divisional series that are already set in stone, that being the White Sox and Houston Astros, as well as in the National League, the Atlanta Braves and the Milwaukee Brewers. But with the wild cards, and we'll start off with tomorrow night, Yankees, Red Sox, they just played pretty much a week and a half ago where the Yankees went in there and swept themselves out of Fenway with three victories and the Red Sox were reeling at that point. And all I could say about this, and this is, I guess, a sub storyline or subplot that you want to talk about going into this postseason. This is an enormous, not a big, not a gigantic, enormous start for Garrett Cole. He has not pitched well down the stretch. A lot of people think that he could actually be in the running for Cy Young. I don't understand how. His ERA is over three. He's been knocked around throughout September. And I get it. Robbie Ray is your leader as far as the AL Cy Young award race goes. And you saw what happened there against the Yankees. What was it? Thursday night where in five innings he gave four home runs. So it may be slim pickings. So it may be slim pickings as far as who's going to win the best pitcher in the American League. As far as that goes, but Garrett Cole has to deliver in this game. He's got to pitch seven innings, maybe even eight. If you're a Yankee fan, you do not want a quality start of six innings, three runs, six hits, eight strikeouts, and no walks. You don't want that. You want to have that guy that's going to go out there like he did against Houston on that Saturday night where he threw 129 pitches, struck out, what, 13 and gave up three hits, I think, in the game. Maybe even one hit off the top of my head. But it was anywhere between one to three hits in the game. Didn't walk anybody. And was just, give me the ball. Stand the hell back. I got this. So the microscope is going to be on him to see how he performs. Because last year, think about it. They won a division. And he did pitch in the games against Cleveland. The wild card game in which they just pounded the ball left and right in that first game. And then came back against Tampa, even on three days rest in that game five, which he pitched okay. He pitched pretty well. But again, he was only able to give you six innings and about 97 pitches. Wild card, Fenway Park against your hated rivals. He has to stand and deliver. And there's some injuries that both teams are dealing with right now. One is DJ LeMay, who is going to be on the I.L., because of a sports hernia, so you're not going to see him until possibly the American Championship Series if they get that far. Also, Luke Voigt has done the knee that he had operated on in the offseason, or believe it or not, actually was early in the regular season, or during spring, which led into the regular season. You're not going to see him at all this postseason. And if you're the Yankees, you have plenty of right-handed bats, you're good there, but you're not going to have a lot of depth when it comes to even Voight coming off the bench or even if a player does get injured where he could just pretty much fill him in, whether at first base or at third or even at DH for that matter, if you're going to play Stanton in the outfield. To, so the Yankees, obviously they have to deal with that. And then the Red Sox with J.D. Martinez, who sprained an ankle over the weekend, so his status is questionable at the moment 
maybe even doubtful, depending on how severe it is. So both teams are coming in a little bit hobbled. Garrett Cole versus Nathan Iovaldi. And Iovaldi, he's that guy where some days he can be lights out, and his others he just gets lit up. He's never in between. And in his last start against the Yankees, I believe in that Sunday night, he did not pitch well. and Or maybe it was that Friday night off the top of my head where he didn't pitch well. I think they pummeled him early. And the Yankees won running and hiding. I believe 7-2 to was that score. All I can say about this game is that I can see the Red Sox winning. I'm sure in the back of their minds, they have it short memory and all where they know the Yankees went in there and borderline embarrassed them just the previous weekend to where Aaron Judge is getting big hits and home runs. Giancarlo Stanton is getting hitting grand slams and getting big hits all over the place. They wore out the Red Sox bullpen. And who do you trust in a big spot when it comes to these managers? And understood it's a collaborative effort with the front office. But for one game, who do you trust more? Alex Cora or Aaron Boone? And that's what I'm going to boil it down to because I could see it. Let's just say for argument's sake, Garrett Cole doesn't have it early. And you know that there are going to be some quick trigger fingers to pull these pitchers if they just don't have it. Let's say Cole goes out there and he's in the third inning and he's already given up three runs and now he has a situation where it's first and second, nobody out. Instead of letting him fight through it, instead of, all right, he's our ace, he's our horse, let's see what he's got. Would you be surprised if Aaron Boone just says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going to go right to the iPad I'm going to look at this matchup. I'm going to bring in a Chad Green. I'm going to bring in even Jonathan Loisaga. I'm going to bring in these guys because it's do or die. And to a certain extent, I can understand that. But in the third inning with your ace, your season on the line, let him try to get out of it. I get it's easy for me to say that. But at the same time, that's what's going to make the Yankee fan just go absolutely bonkers. And as you heard over the weekend, I believe in the Saturday game when they got embarrassed by the race 12-2, you heard the fire Boone chants. So, couldn't you see this happening with Aaron Boone at some point in this game where he's going to make a move that's either premeditated or it's going to be a little bit too soon and watch it just blow up right in his face and then the Yankees go into the offseason with eight more million question marks than they did going into last offseason? I know this sounds anti-Yankee pick. I just, for some reason, it's a karma thing. I could just see the Red Sox squeaking out a game. And the Red Sox, mind you, they played the Yankees well this year. And not that the regular season matters. I get that. Understood. But the Red Sox know the Yankees well. And they're not afraid of them. And I'm sure their thought process is going to be, let Garrett Cole work counts, get that pitch count up, fight off some fastballs, lay off some tough pitches and just try to get him out of the game and work on their bullpen. Because the last thing you want is for Garrett Cole to be pitching in the sixth or seventh inning, even if they're nursing a one-run lead, the Yankees that is, because you know as the game gets better, you know he's going to be in bulldog mode and then you have to wonder whether or not he's either going to go eight or maybe even nine innings because the Yankees need to see tomorrow. And that's where we're going to even find out more about how Aaron Boone's going to manage this game if it does happen to go that way. But I like the Red Sox 
in a close game. I don't know. Garrett Cole, I'm sure he's going to be amped up, ready to go. But based on what I've seen, and not that I'm in love with Evaldi either. I said he's been hot and cold. But I think the Red Sox will do just enough. And I think that they'll may get to Cole. Not early, but I think they'll get to him at some point. And then they'll go on and prevail and move on to the ALDS. As for the White Sox and Astros, I know it's Tony La Russa managing this White Sox club. I get that the pedigree of the Astros, even without George Springer, but you still have Altuve, you still have Brantley, you still have Bregman, you still have Correa. To me, that tops anything that the White Sox have. And I hope the White Sox have a good postseason. I hope they have a long postseason. But the Astros, just when you thought or when you think that this team is going to be down and out or everything that transpired with this team going back to 2017 with the whole cheating scandal, somehow they rise to the occasion. They have winners on this club. And Dusty Baker is a guy who's won now, I believe, the first manager in Major League Baseball history to win five division titles with five different teams. Think about that. So you kind of wonder if the baseball guys has it in for the Astros, considering when you look at last year, what they did in the first round, they beat Minnesota. All right, big whoop, they do that to everybody. They beat Oakland in the division series, and then they were down 0-3 to the Tampa Bay Rays before coming back to even the series and then losing a game seven. I'm picking them. I'll say in four. To the National League, the wild card game, if the Dodgers lose this game, and they can't. I'm not going to say there should be an investigation. I'm not going to say that, oh, geez, here comes that bad karma from Dodger playoff teams past prior to 2020. But I'm sure they're going to look at each other in that locker room and say, there's no way for everything that we've done this year, we're going out like this. And we get that the Cardinals are good. They're very respectable. They're a tough ball club managed by Mike Schilt, who is a very underrated manager. But we didn't come this far just to come this far. So I can see the Dodgers and even Adam Wainwright, who's probably up for another NL Cy Young or probably be in the running for his first NL Cy Young, I should say. I think it's going to be too much for them. I can see them being feisty. I can see them even if they get off to a slow start and the Dodgers grab a lead, I can see them coming back. That Cardinal team is tough, but at the end, I see the Dodgers prevailing. And as far as the Braves and Brewers, their bullpen took a huge hit with Devin Williams. And I don't know what he was thinking by punching a wall to where he broke his hand and you're not going to see him throughout this postseason. But that is a huge loss and a tough one to replace. But they're going to bank this first series against Atlanta by using their starting pitching, which has gotten them here all year long of Burns, Peralta, and Woodruff. You would think that with the Brewers and how they've pretty much been in cruise control over the last couple of weeks going up against a Brave team that, let's face it, they've had playoff games pretty much from August on, which could be a good thing for them because this team has won four straight division titles. This team knows what it takes to not only make it in October, but also play in October as evidenced last year. Now, granted, they blew a 3-1 series lead to the Dodgers and did not make it to a World Series, but that has to account for something. But I think the Brewers have had too good of a year to then all of a sudden just give it up. So I'm going to pick the Brewers in four as well. And I can't really say 
until it's official, because I'm not going to predict it's Dodgers and Giants or even Red Sox and Rays when the Yankees or the Giants could win. So, and as I said way back when, prior to the start of this season, I have to stick with my World Series prediction, and that was Yankees-Dodgers. I know that the Dodgers, both of these teams, could you imagine if both teams were going to be out before the division series? It could happen. Who knows? One of the two could be picked off or maybe both or maybe not. We shall see. But that's your baseball as we get ready for another fall classic in a few weeks. And baseball is my first love. So I'll be on top of this. And obviously we'll break it down as both the AL and NL wild cards kick off tomorrow night and Wednesday night and into the division series this coming weekend. And before I move on to the NFL, one other note, Max Muncy, his status is uncertain right now as he injured his left elbow in a collision yesterday afternoon against Milwaukee. And without him, we know Muncy has been a very good postseason player here, especially last year in the bubble. And you wonder what his health is going to be like moving forward. So that's one to keep an eye on whether or not he's going to play in this game come Wednesday night. So the Dodger fan may not have Muncy in the lineup. So we'll certainly keep an eye on that. All right, now on to the NFL. And do we have to start off with what happened in Foxborough yesterday? I'll get to that. I want to cut right to the chase to get to my winners and losers of week four. And I'll start with the winners. First off is the Arizona Cardinals. What they did to the LA Rams was rather shocking. All right, if they... Went into LA and won a 23 to 20 or 24 21, that type of game. Okay, you could look at it and say, hey, they made a few plays. They were able to get the job on the, done on defense. They were able just to overcome whatever it is throughout the course of a game, being a road team and with a Ram team that was hot as a pistol, beating the Buccaneers the week before. And although the Cardinals are no slouch coming in undefeated, but nobody expected a 37-20 thrashing. At one point, it was 37-13. The game was not in question. Kyler Murray, who a lot of people, including myself, although has a lot of ability, but this was a big year for not only him, but also the coach, Cliff Kingsbury. And what they've done so far is they've rolled the dice, and I've seen nothing but 7s and 11s. You have to give it up. Now, it may not be that big when you look at them beating Tennessee in week one, considering what happened to them yesterday, and I'll get to them, of course. But with Arizona, after these first four weeks, being the last undefeated team in the NFC, and the only team that still has not been beaten yet is the Las Vegas Raiders, who played in that against the Chargers in a very good Monday night matchup. But give it up for the Cardinals. Let's see if they continue this. They have the Niners next week coming into their building, and the Niners... Come in there a little battered and bruised, as we'll get to in a little bit. But there, my winner number one. My second winner, speaking of which, I'll say it, is the Seattle Seahawks. They had to win on the road in a just a huge game for them because they did not want to go behind the eight ball one and three in a very competitive division where San Francisco would have had a one and a half game lead, or really two and a half when you think about it, because they would have been three and one, and then Seattle would have been one and three. You also have a scenario, as we just talked about, between the Rams and now the Cardinals being atop that division as well. But for Russell Wilson and company to go into the Bay Area or Santa Clara 
and pull out a road win. Now, mind you, San Francisco did not have Jimmy Garoppolo as he left with a right calf strain, which he's going to get an MRI on. We'll see if this means the beginning of the Trey Lance era, depending on the status of Garoppolo. But for right now, it's about Seattle. Let's see if this puts their season back on track. And they have another big game and quite a few big games this week, especially in that division where you have San Francisco going to Arizona. And then your Thursday night are the Rams going to the Pacific Northwest to play the Seahawks. So that's one we'll certainly be on the lookout for. So those are my two winners. And as far as my losers go, Tennessee. I understand there was no A.J. Brown or even Julio Jones. Derrick Henry did have 33 carries for 154 yards. Ryan Tannehill actually had a pretty good game on the stat sheet. But it's their defense. Zach Wilson, if you want to say this was a little bit of a coming out party for him, you could say that considering... It says a lot because his first three weeks had just been abysmal. But give it up for the Jets. They were a loser last week. I couldn't make them a winner this week because to me, this was more about Tennessee losing this type of game. And granted, you didn't have two of their key offensive weapons. But still, if this is a team that you're going to take seriously in a division that even with the Colts winning in Miami yesterday, if the Titans would have won, they still would have had a two-game lead in the division or really two and a half because they did beat the Colts the week before. But now... The Colts could say, hey, we're still in this mix as far as the division goes, even with a loss to the Titans and being one and three after four weeks. Terrible job there by Vrabel and company. And they're my loser number one. My loser number two. I am never going to pick the New Orleans Saints in a knockout pool. I don't care if they're playing UAB. Yes, the college football team. Or if they're playing, I'll keep it on a pro level. I don't care if they're playing the 08 Lions or the, I guess it was the 17, or maybe it was the 18 Browns where they went 0-16. I don't care if the Saints are playing those teams. I am never picking them again. Here they are at home against the Giants where the Giants came in reeling. And Daniel Jones was 28 for 40, 402 yards, and give it up for the Giants as they get their first win. And I've been critical of Daniel Jones. I've been critical of Joe Judge. And right, they could have been part of the winners, but... If this game was at the Meadowlands, I'd be like, all right, it was a home game. The game was in a Superdome. And Jameis Winston, and I said this before, check the receipts. I thought that the Jameis Winston-Sean Payton marriage, not to say that it was going to be bumpy or rocky, but I didn't think it was going to be as beautiful as a lot of people thought. Because even with Winston and his ability, especially that final season in Tampa where he threw for 5,000 yards, whatever it was, 38 touchdowns, even with his 30 interceptions, But I had a lot of people thinking that, oh, Peyton's going to fix him. He's going to make this team even more explosive. He's going to have the arm that Drew Brees didn't have in the last couple of years there in New Orleans. And what has he done? Yeah, he threw for five touchdowns in that opening game against the Packers. But he only threw for 145 yards. He has not had a big game offensively to date. And I thought that this was going to be a team that was going to be disappointing only because everybody thought... With the Peyton and Winston duo, that it was pretty much going to be seamless for the same team to be at the top or near the top of the NFC South. And as it is right now, they're in third place. So just a terrible job by the Saints. I I mean, what more can I say? Three of the last four years, I picked them in a knockout pool and they all knocked me out cold. 
So we can say goodbye to that. Now, as far as the week goes, we all know it dates back to everything that led up until last night. NBC, I can imagine what their rating was. Their rating must have been, I'm not going to say Super Bowl-like. That's 100 million people. But I'm sure they probably had 30, 40, maybe even, I'll say, I'll go as high as 40 million people watching this game. And it may not have been that high, who knows, but it was a game that was very competitive. Bill Belichick threw the kitchen sink at Brady and to the point where Brady did not have a good game. 22 for 43, 269 yards. Didn't even get a touchdown pass in the game. Settled for field goals. They did get the touchdown there in the first half, but this was a game, as competitive as it was, it was not a great game. Yeah, it was thrilling at the end. You kind of wondered if Mac Jones was going to be able to pull his team out of the fire and how ironic it would have been for him to have the magic there in the final couple of minutes to where Nick Folk, and you could argue whether or not you wanted to use Folk there on a wet field with the rain coming down, not strong of a leg to kick a 56-yard field goal, and he could have went for it on fourth and three. Well, he hit the upright, so you couldn't get as close as that. It's not as if he muffed it or it went sailing wide left or right. So you can't kill Belichick on that, although you could question that. But the game was not a great game. I know that Collinsworth was giddy and trying to give you all these different angles about Mac Jones and Brady and everything. By the time you got to the second quarter, you're already sick of it. And we understand that that's the territory when you have this iconic player going up against his old team that only won six Super Bowls for against Bill Belichick, etc. Belichick's game plan was masterful. The... Whole Brady aura, I'm sure, probably took over there a little bit. Not necessarily at the start of the game, but I wouldn't be surprised. And Brady probably wouldn't admit this, but he sure he had the jitters even throughout the game, even in the crux of the game. I know balls are getting away from him, and you could attribute that to the weather. But it's not as if Brady's ever played in weather like that in Foxborough. I mean, give me a break. So I would think part of it had to do with some nerves. But it wasn't a great game. We could finally bid adieu, even with all the reports in the middle of the week with the Seth Wickersham book about the secretive Patriots and the whole Patriot way and all these different angles about Belichick disliking Kraft and Kraft and Brady and all this nonsense, which could that stuff be true? Yeah, it could be even if it was second and third hand, but now that this is over and done with, nobody cares. That's it. Until Brady retires, if you get anything that's going to be, I'm not saying that what Seth Wickersham wrote is not substantial, but at the same time, this was the week for them to bring all this dirt, all this drama, whatever, because if Tampa was not playing in New England this week, do you think all this stuff would have resurfaced or would have come to the surface? Absolutely not. And I understand if you're a Buccaneer fan, you got to wonder about your team a little bit, especially defensively, all these guys getting nicked up. Carlton Davis, you have to bring in Richard Sherman, where it's easy to pick on him today, where... A lot of people could say, oh, he looked like an old man out there. Hey, listen, he just got there. We're not going to see the Richard Sherman of the Legion of Boom days by any stretch, but as much as people want to laugh at him this morning and him being picked on yesterday, and even though I made a shot at him on Twitter saying that if Mac Jones is picking on Richard Sherman, what does that say about not only just the Buccaneers trying to bring him on the team, but what does that say about Sherman's career? But I know I had to lay off and say, ah, he just got there. I can't get crazy. Let's see as you progress on to the season, 
how effective he'll be as a corner. So that was the highlight game of the day. Some of the other games, and I'm just going to breeze through these people because a lot of these games, it wasn't an exciting weekend. I mean, what can I add to Buffalo shutting out Houston 40 to nothing? I mean, that's it. And Atlanta finds more ways to lose as they lose to the Washington football team. Taylor Henneke's becoming a conquering hero in the nation's capital with his exploits going back to the wildcard game against the aforementioned Buccaneers last year. But the Falcons are pathetic. What could you say? Chicago gets their first win of the year under Justin Fields and the Lions. We know they're going to have a long season. Fields. Ed made some plays. The stat line doesn't look sexy. 11 for 17 for 209 yards. He did throw an interception. But he was able to at least flash some of the ability that a lot of the Bears fans are hoping for. Not only just this year, but for the future. When it comes to the Windy City. Cleveland and Minnesota. Cleveland continues to win these games ho-hum. And this was no exception. Baker Mayfield, not impressive in the game. 15 for 33 for 100 and what, 50 some odd yards. The ground game was pretty much stout. 100 yards from Nick Chubb. Kareem Hunt also chipped in with I believe 74 yards. And Kirk Cousins came back to earth a little bit. But again, nothing to really write home about. Same for Indianapolis getting their first win. All right, pom-poms get broken out. But the Dolphins, Jacoby Brissett, You're not going to go crazy about that game. Baltimore and Denver. The Ravens righted the ship after losing that first game in Las Vegas. Arguably, you could say they could be 4-0 at this point. But Lamar Jackson throws for 300 yards. Big pass there to Hollywood Brown in the mile high. And Denver suffers their first loss, 23-7. Another ho-hum game. Kansas City behind Patrick Mahomes' five touchdowns, a hat trick for Tyreek Hill. Even though Philly did play well and Jalen Hurts, you could say maybe a lot of those numbers were padded there toward the end. But 42 to 30, a game that, you're again, you're not going to jump up and down or go crazy or were at the edge of your seat when it came to watching those two teams. Carolina and Dallas. I know Dak Prescott, four touchdowns. He certainly hasn't missed a beat, even with the injury that he suffered last year. Cowboys are riding high. Another team that arguably could have been 4-0. And even with his four touchdowns, he only threw 488 yards. Sam Darnold, not too bad as well as far as what he did. Although he did have a couple of interceptions in the game. And Ezekiel Elliott looked like his old self. 20-443, including a touchdown as they ran roughshod over that number one defense. But again... Another game that was pretty much in control when you look at going into the fourth quarter, although the game came down to one score. Jacksonville and Cincinnati, that was a Thursday night game. I know Cincinnati on a last second field goal, but if they want to impress me, win this week against Green Bay. And we'll get to the week four, or excuse me, week five slate in just a minute. You also have the Steeler game. Do I have to get to this right now? Yeah, we talked about the NFC West. Yeah, I guess the Steeler game is the last one on the docket. I'm not going to squeeze out any more juice from this apple, but even after that opening drive with the Steelers going up 7-0 and a beautiful touch pass by Roethlisberger to Deontay Johnson, but Roethlisberger was off target a couple times to Juju Smith-Schuster, which they could have potentially been touchdowns, one for sure because it was at the five-yard line where Roethlisberger overthrew Schuster and then another one in the seam 
where it looked like he only had one man to beat, where he overthrew both guys, and even Juju in the postgame said that it was on me, it wasn't Ben's fault, but I'm sure a lot of it had to be frustration toward Ben, I would think. It's only human nature to feel that way. But what am I going to say? Offensive line is still up to its old tricks. It can't run block. It can barely pass protect. And I think the combination of Roethlisberger, where he's unable to move, let's call it as we see it, and him having to anticipate the rush where he wants to get rid of the ball faster is the reason why this offense is absolutely inept. I think when he has time, and you can say that for every quarterback in the league, but if he has time back there, I think he can pitch it and catch it. But the second that there's a rush, forget about it. He's overthrowing people, underthrowing balls, off target. And Ben has been a pretty accurate quarterback throughout his career. You haven't seen that. And this is the problem of why Pittsburgh, and I got to throw blame at Matt Canada because this offense wasn't supposed to be revamped. It was supposed to be retooled. But I long for the days of the former offensive coordinator, Randy Fickner, because I see pretty much the same deal with this offense. And I understand the offensive line is critical in order for this offense to get on track. But at the same time, we got to see some improvement and we got to see maybe a little bit of some trickeration, get some misdirection, a jet sweep, something. And the Steelers offense is as predictable as it comes. And now they have Denver coming into their building in Seattle on a Sunday night. And they're already 0-2 at home. How's it going to get better? Oh, I tell you. Anyway, so let me move on. Let's get to week five. Tonight you have Vegas and the Chargers. Very good game in LA. It'll be interesting to see. You're probably going to have a lot of Rager contingent there. Come down from Oakland. Remember, that's more of a Ram town than a Charger town, and that's not really saying much, but historically, you would think that there's going to be more of a turnout for the Rams and the Chargers, but I would think a lot of the Raider fans, whether the five that are in Vegas and all that will come from NorCal and the remaining LA Raider fans going back to the 80s and 90s that may show up, uh, I could see the Raiders winning that game and a close one made by a field goal. As far as your week five schedule, we talked about the Rams and Seahawks being a great Thursday night game. Your other games of note, Green Bay and Cincinnati, show and prove here, Bengals. Yeah, you could beat up on Jacksonville. You could even beat up on Pittsburgh. Okay, fine. Division game on the road. Very impressive. I'll give you that. And you could beat Minnesota, who came out guns a blazing these first three weeks offensively. Okay, fine. You did lose to the Bears on the road. No problem. You want to really impress me? I don't care how you do it. I don't care if you win 10-9 or 51-48 in overtime. Beat the Packers Sunday. And if you get embarrassed, I'm telling you right now, that's going to be my first loser of the week. Case closed. Other than that, you have a very weak slate. I know the late games are good. Giants and Dallas... The only reason why I bring that up because maybe the Giants have a little gas in the tank. They go to Dallas. Maybe their defense shows up. But the the Cowboy offense has been spectacular so far. So I'm not even going to include that as a big game. San Francisco and Arizona. That is your 425 window game. Although the rest of the country, most of the country will see Giants and Cowboys. You have the Browns going to play the Chargers in LA. That should be 
a very good matchup and it'll be interesting to see what Cleveland does especially against a team that's going to have an offense now so we'll see Buffalo and Kansas City a rematch of the AFC Championship game that's your Sunday night your Monday night game is Indianapolis at Baltimore not good other than that Tennessee at Jacksonville New England at Houston Chicago at Vegas New Orleans at Washington Miami at Tampa Denver at Pittsburgh Detroit at Minnesota the Jets versus Atlanta in London you know how I feel about the London games I could care less not a great week there for the National Football League and I'll leave it on this note before I turn to college I don't know what the NFL is thinking by having Dr. Dre Snoop Dogg Eminem Kendrick Lamar and Mary J. Blige as the halftime show for the upcoming Super Bowl I get you're trying to get an LA feel so you have Dre you have Snoop and Kendrick Lamar we know that Eminem is from the 313 Detroit Mary J. Blige is pretty much from right up the road in Mount Vernon from where I live and this isn't a knock on any of those artists not at all we could talk about do we need to hear an Eminem song where I can't even tell you when his last best song was or Snoop we know he's in a lot of other people's songs he's not putting out albums like he once used to whatever but put that all aside because we could talk about the Rolling Stones and Bruce Springsteen and all that that they're not really current or up to date but the NFL going down this road and it's a very tricky slope I think they did it for this reason they wanted to have some relevance with the younger crowd but as I said time after time after time they don't need more eyeballs to the sets it's the Super Bowl people are going to watch the game whether it's a Wednesday on the moon at 3.30 in the morning they're not going to care who the halftime artist is or in this case who the artists are it doesn't make any sense and I get maybe it's slim pickings maybe a lot of people or a lot of the musical acts did not want to participate who knows maybe they're busy maybe they want to start going on tour considering that we're trying to get out of COVID and they may want to earn some loot because remember they make no money these halftime artists for the NFL they're not getting paid for this they show up whatever they're going to put up I'm sure they have to go through a particular protocol or maybe they got to go through some sort of panel as to what they're going to put on because there's no way that they're going to put on a lot of these hits you figure California Love will be a hit there but I'm sure they're going to have to tweak some of the lyrics whatever but be that as it may to me the NFL dropped the ball again because they've distanced themselves enough from Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake back in Super Bowl 38 and now not to say it's going to happen again I'm sure They're going to monitor this and monitor it up until the halftime show. But to me, it's just a matter of why. Why do it? Why run the risk? Because you know these artists are going to want to say and do what they feel if they have the platform and the stage to do so. So they're leaving themselves open for embarrassment. So, But that's not on the artists. That's on the NFL. Because they could have volunteered to be part of the Super Bowl festivities and the NFL could have been like, nah, or you know what, yeah, we'll take this person but not that person. Or you know, we want Dr. Dre, we'll take Snoop, we'll make it just an all-California feel. And it's good to see Mary J. Blige get her shine. And the same for even Kendrick Lamar for that matter. And I understand there's the LA tie there. But I'm not going to predict it's going to be a disaster. But if something does go awry, don't blame the artists. And even if the artists say they're not going to do what they say, you just never know 
Last minute, they could flip it and switch it, and boom, you have a controversy. But that's on the NFL. And that's all I'll say about that. Let me just move on. College football had a very interesting Saturday, and it makes you think, makes you wonder, will the Cincinnati Bearcats be that team to upend the college football playoff system and be part of the Final Four on New Year's Eve? There's still a long time to go. There's a lot of football to be played. And granted that their schedule, there are not a bunch of powerhouses that are left. And we could go right through them. Temple, Central Florida, at Navy, at Tulane, Tulsa, at South Florida, SMU, Southern Methodist, and Eastern Carolina. That is not an SEC docket to say the least. Now they have the big win against Notre Dame thanks to Desmond Ritter who threw for two touchdowns and ran for one. Biggest college football win in the school's history. So knowing that they beat Notre Dame and pretty much could kiss Notre Dame's chances of making it and I'm not going to say 100% because I have to look at the rest of their schedule and I have to see where the chips could fall there and obviously with the top of the college football food chain anything could happen. But Cincinnati is going to be on everybody's radar, barring them losing. And there are going to be some skeptics out there to think that, well, look at the schedule they played. They played nobody. All right, they beat Notre Dame at Notre Dame, which is enormous. But when you look at some of the other schools or some of the other conferences that have deeper and better schedules, even with one loss and with Cincinnati going undefeated, they're going to say, wait, we're just as worthy of being here than that team. So let's say if Georgia loses, a lot of people may think, well, Cincinnati belongs there and not the Bulldogs. But then, of course, Georgia's going to say, well, hey, you know, we played we played Clemson in week one before they've fallen off the map now that they're out of the top 25 for the first time since 2014. Or play Alabama or Florida or any of the other teams that Cincinnati won't even see the rest of the way. But that's one thing that we're going to have to keep a watch out for because if Cincinnati does run the table and has that big win circled on their calendar, it could go a long way for them making the playoff. Now we have to wait and see. There's still a lot of games to be played. I'm not even going to look at it from a Cincinnati perspective because I'll think that they'll run the table the rest of the way based on this competition. But when it comes to Iowa, even Penn State for that matter, Oklahoma, who has not been impressive. And even in their wins, I mean, they beat Nebraska barely. And they, in their opening game, Tulane, where the game was in their building, and they had to squeak by 40 to 35. People will look at that in Sooner Country to say, hey, we belong in the top four. Why is Cincinnati there? Because they beat Notre Dame on the schedule. And who is Oklahoma beating? Now, granted, they still have to play at their schedule. We got to wait and see. But right now, you have to. Give them a lot of consideration, even though they're ranked fifth right now, the Bearcats. But with Arkansas falling off of a cliff, and if anybody thought that Arkansas was going to be a player in this thing, man, sadly mistaken. Even after beating Texas and Texas A&M in their building, they just get lambasted by Georgia, so you can say goodbye to Arkansas, and they still have Alabama on their schedule later on in the year. We talked about Notre Dame. Who knows? They could be waiting in the weeds here, depending on the rest of their schedule goes. But again, if Cincinnati continues to win, 
Notre Dame's not going to be able to match up there if that's the fourth and final spot for the playoff. But we still have to wait and see. And then you also had Florida losing to Kentucky. And for college basketball, that would be big. And we know the Florida college basketball team is very good. But if the Gators beat the Wildcats in basketball, that'd be big. So imagine what it was like in football the other way around to where the fans stormed the field and beating the Mighty Gators. So we saw Arkansas go back to 13, Notre Dame go back to 14, Florida to 20, and who knows if those teams are going to be heard of the rest of this college football season. And then on top of that, let's add the cherry to this scrambled, crazy, frenzy college football weekend that we just experienced. You had Oregon, who if you remember week two beat Ohio State and looked like that they could be a threat to making it into the college football playoff. So for Stanford to pull off the upset there and really shake the college football playoff lot as of today, I'm sure they're going to be sick, the Ducks and everybody up there in Beaverton to contemplate and wonder what the hell went wrong there, especially in that final play regulation where the quarterback Tanner McKee found Elijah Higgins and pushed it into overtime and then to get the winner, 31-24, to upend, at least for right now, any chances of Oregon making it into the college football playoff. And as we look ahead to week six, you have your Red River shootout, which will take place at the Cotton Bowl, Oklahoma going to Texas. Let's see what Oklahoma can do. Again, they have not been impressive even though they're ranked sixth in the country. And you know the Longhorns are going to be chomping at the bit. So that's a game we'll keep an eye out for. You have Arkansas and Ole Miss. For those who are looking at maybe Arkansas trying to get a little redemption after that embarrassment the other day. Georgia and Auburn is your 330 CBS game. Your night game, which a lot of people will look at and focus on, even before that, Penn State and Iowa, that's by far your biggest game of the weekend. I know the night game, Michigan and Nebraska. And now Michigan is ranked here in the top 10. So you know, we've always focused on Jim Harbaugh. We've always focused on the Wolverines. This is going to be a very important stretch for them to see what they could do as they've flown under the radar here to start the year. And now that they're in the top 10, you got to wonder whether or not that the other shoe's going to drop there if you're Jim Harbaugh and company. But by far the biggest game is Penn State at Iowa. That's going to go a long way as to how the college football playoff will shape up. Alabama's at Texas A&M. That could be a game where maybe A&M could throw a little upset special. So, And we know about Alabama's defense here. They have not really been Alabama-esque when it comes to stopping the run and playing hard-nosed tough defense as they've done for as long as Nick Saban's been there. So you do have a couple of intriguing games. And the college football season right now, you would think it's going to, I'm not going to say take off, but so far, although you had a couple of dull weeks there, week two, week three, the last couple of weeks, you've had some juggling there at the top. Not necessarily at the very top, of course, Alabama and Georgia. They're by far the two best teams in the country. But when we see pretty much three on down, 
that has been a shakeup like the old eight balls where you shake it up and you get a little note to tell you what to do. I know I'm talking old school now, but as we round out the rest of the top 10, Iowa, Penn State, Cincinnati are three, four, five behind Alabama, Georgia, then Oklahoma, Ohio State, Oregon, Michigan, and BYU. So we will continue to take note of the college football season as, like I said, the last couple of weeks have been interesting. Let's see if it continues on that trend or will we hit a stretch here where the favorites or the contenders will separate from the pretenders and then we'll wait to see how this uh, shapes up here as we get into October, deeper into the month and toward the end as the weather gets cooler. Now, a couple of quickies here. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on both the NBA and NHL. I'll start with the NBA here because a lot of the news this past week as training camps have opened and we've also had the exhibition season begin are the scenarios in San Francisco and New York. We talked about it briefly last week with Kyrie Irving and how the controversy of him surrounding not getting the vaccine, especially when it comes to being indoors, that if you are a member of the Nets or the Knicks and if you're unvaccinated, you cannot play due to local regulations if you're currently unvaccinated. And as we last found out, that's the situation with Kyrie Irving. To the point where now he's going to be jeopardized game checks if he does not play, I believe, in upwards of $380,000 a game. It has been approved and collectively bargained between the owners and players. So now Kyrie's feet are going to be to the fire and it's going to be a question on whether or not he's going to get vaccinated. And if you're a Net fan, I know it's going to be very dicey. We know that the soap opera between Kyrie and the team and maybe even its fan base is now on another level. Because as we all know, this net season upcoming is world championship or bust. There isn't anything less than that. It's not a conference final. It's not getting to an NBA final. It's not even losing in a seventh game to the Lakers, which could happen. And if it does, tip your hat to the Lakers. But it is championship or bust. And they need Kyrie on this team. Well, it's all there is to it. And I'll just leave it at that. A lot can happen between now and tip off two weeks from tomorrow night. So I'll leave it there. In fact, Andrew Wiggins, speaking of San Francisco, out in the Bay Area, as told by Coach Steve Kerr, was released the information that Andrew Wiggins did get a vaccination. I don't know if he just got the one shot or did he get both shots by now, who knows. But he has been cleared and was given permission to put that out there for the world to hear. So now you just have Kyrie and we shall wait and see. I guess that should be the news of the next couple of weeks to wait to see whether or not the game of chicken, what's going to happen first. Is Kyrie going to sit these home games, which I know will cause a stir, or is he going to get the vaccine and we don't have to worry about it? And the same is pretty much happening in the NHL in that regard. No big players are sitting out. I know you had the one tough guy, Zach Ronaldo, who's going to sit out now because he's not going to get the vaccination. And... A lot of the players, I guess, have been able to become vaccinated. So you don't have to worry about any of these top players, whether your favorite team or one of the league's pillars that, let's just say, it's not the case. I'm just using this as an example, that if Connor McDavid or Nathan McKinnon did not get the vax, is that something that the league, and not only that, but the 
teams, fans, etc., will that be a big to-do heading into the regular season? That you don't have to worry about. And Ronaldo, for those wondering, is a Columbus Blue Jacket. He's been around several teams, most notably the Flyers, but again, you haven't had a lot of players come out saying that they've been unvaccinated. You know, you haven't had the Cole Beasley effect, if you want to call it that. And then I know there's been some accusations here with Robin Leonard talking about how he's accused NHL teams of medical malpractice and offering various types of substances, whether it be Ambien or another one I can't even pronounce, or benzos, I know for short, that's what they call them, but it's benzodiazepines, I guess you pronounce it, for lack of a better word. And here's a guy that's had to deal with mental illness and mental health and had used substances that uh, would curtail that and he feels that he's come out with certain teams and saying that he'd been, and I'll take a quote here, saying that he's made crazy amount of mistakes but lying about what I've seen for 12 years is not one of them. I don't care what they say. I don't lie about these things. I'll keep going. I have stored stories for over a year. Watch now when the NHL will try to cancel me. So who knows? We'll see if the NHL will come out with a statement. And that's something that the league is going to have to look at seriously because Leonard, as I said, has had a history with coping with mental health and also taking over-the-counter medication. Let's see if that becomes a firestorm prior to the start of the season. And that would pretty much do it, people. Not much in all the other circles. Golf has actually cooled off, as we talked about here over the last couple of weeks. Same for tennis and some of the other sports. So I'm going to get right to it. My hero and zero of the week. And funny enough, we'll get right to boxing because my hero of the week is going to go to none other than Manny Pacquiao. Yes, he finally announced his retirement. He's going to hang it up. Do we even have to go through his resume? Do we even have to talk about his accomplishments? Absolutely not. But I will say he was an eight-time champion in eight different divisions. First time it's ever happened. But as we know... At the age of 43, he just fought a few weeks ago and lost to Johannes Ugas, the kid from Cuba. Didn't go well over these last few years, getting knocked out, being parts of memes, losing to Floyd Mayweather, understandably so, but it doesn't shine the bad light as far as what he did for the sport. And now he's able to go off into the sunset and onto the next phase of his life to try to become the president of the Philippines. So yes. Let's give him his due. Yes, hopefully this will be it, that he won't have to come back for money or for that last-ditch effort of fame, whatever it is, that he could finally hang up his gloves and call it a career. So Manny Pacquiao, you are my hero of the week. And my zero of the week goes to Paul Riley. Most recently, a coach of the North Carolina Courage, a team that plays in the North or National Women's Soccer League, excuse me, to where he has been accused of not only abusing and harassing players, but also some sexual coercion with players dating back to almost a dozen years ago and has been on several different teams. He coached the New York team, he coached the Philadelphia team, and most recently fired by the Courage, but to have all these accusations and all this just dirt come up on this guy to the point he even admitted that 
he had been in situations or scenarios where he'd gone out with his team and picked up bar tabs for his players, but said, oh, no, 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 but I've never been out of line or I've never come across as harassing or abusive toward any of the players. Now, again, was I there? Was I privy to all this? No. But if all this has come out here with a lot of the players in the league and talk about being inexcusable and unacceptable on so many accounts for now, this guy to just recently be fired? Jeez. Not a good look, my guy. I understand you may have admitted that, but then maybe backtrack, whatever. But whatever the case may be, and I understand it's a league that you couldn't name even the teams, let alone the players, but this has to be, come on. Doesn't get any worse than that. Paul Riley, you are my zero of the week. And that'll do it. Episode 218 in the books. I appreciate you stopping by to listen to what it is to have to say. As always, people, your contribution just by streaming the show, following it, being able to download whatever, how you get your podcasts. Again, I do not take it for granted. And if you haven't done so, like I said at the top, and I'll quickly repeat now, please subscribe, rate, review this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts just so we can increase the visibility to be able to get any type of guest that's on, to get the word out, take a screenshot, send it to me, post it on social media. Again, I'll be forever thankful for that. If you want to hit me up with a question, comment, criticism, or praise, you could do so at any of the following on Instagram, J Reels or the J Reels Podcast. On Twitter, J Reels One, just a number. On Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page, or the old fashioned way at the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Any questions, comments, criticism, praise, again, hit me up. I'll be sure to follow up with you ASAP. And lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. That's P as in Paul, A T as in Tom, R E O N as in Nancy. Whatever you want to put forth, the upkeep of the website, production, equipment, Everything that makes this podcast go, 100% will go to that. And I will truly be grateful and thankful for that contribution. Because whether you do or do not know people, this is what I love. Sports is in the blood. If you can't tell by how it translates from my lips to the microphone into your ears, whether it's by speakers or the earbuds, then I don't know. I'll have to come back with even more passion, more fury, more fire next time. But that's why I do it. I do it for you guys because this is what I love to do to entertain, to inform my thoughts, opinions, analysis on everything that's happening in the world of the diamond, the ice, the gridiron, the hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beast, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.